Spirit of the living God, would you breathe on us now? Would you wake us up? Would you make us alive and not numb? Would you send your healing to those who physically need healing this morning in Jesus' name? And would you give us all hearts that are open to you, attentive to you, able to receive from you and be changed by you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. We are, we just started last week a new sermon series uh, called You Be the Judge. We're looking at the book of Judges, which is a book in the Old Testament of our Bibles and filled with strange stories. In fact, for the rest of this sermon series, uh, there will be, I think, everything... Every single story from here on out will have something unique, strange, disturbing, interesting, unusual. I don't know what words you would use to describe it, but it's just not your straightforward things that you find in a lot of the Bible. That said, this is the one week where that's the exception. This week is vanilla. This week is not, there's nothing super interesting or unusual about it. However, I think it's important that we look at this week because this week actually is a summary is an explanation of all that's going to follow. And I think most of the time we don't read a lot of judges on our own, even if we're Bible readers, or you don't hear hardly any sermons on judges uh, in churches. And I think part of the reason is there are things you can gain from it, but it's kind of hard to know what you're supposed to get out of it, how much you gain from it. And I think in, in knowing this part that we're looking at today, it helps shape and helps explain what's to follow, what we're supposed to get out of it. What is the overarching thing? Because in Judges, there are themes that repeat themselves. And Judges is found in the big story of God, and that's how we gain from it. So that's why we're looking at the whole book. We're going to keep looking at all the stories week after week. So last week, I... I introduced it. We went through chapter one, and right at the beginning, it says, you know, after Joshua died, it kind of places, here's where we're at in the story. So in the big story of God, the people of Israel, God's people, had been enslaved in Egypt. Moses had led them out. They did not go right into the promised land because they, they didn't have faith that, and confidence that God would help deliver them into that land. And so they wandered for 40 years, but during that time, they have God's instructions come to them. They have God's law. They understand um, what it takes now. And then Joshua, Moses' successor, leads the people into the land and starts driving out the peoples that are evil with the goal of establishing a place in the land where the people would follow the ways of God instead of the evil ways that were destructive. And then the rest of the world could see what it's supposed to look like. That's the vision out there. And it, so that's where, where they're at when Judges starts. Joshua has just died, but they are moving forward. And it, you see in the story, okay, two tribes work together. They take, take on a major powerful king, and they win, a king that's done much evil, and they win. They drive him out. There's a story of Caleb, one of the heroes of the, of the faith in, in going through the desert. He gets his land. There's a story of a couple becoming married and the blessing that comes to them. All of this is good. That's where Judges starts. And then you hear, yeah, they kind of drove out some, but not everybody all of a sudden. 
And they did take over a city, but then that city reestablished itself right next to them. And then tribe after tribe, they didn't get all the way done. Things weren't working on all cylinders like before. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we get a little bit of an explanation. It's because the people had stopped following God wholeheartedly and had started following the gods of all the people groups around them. And so they were no, their goal of, God's goal of having them influence everyone else for good had gotten reversed and they had been influenced by everyone else for evil. And they recognized it came from a messenger from God, from an angel of the Lord, and the people recognize it and they're weeping. That's where we left off last week. So now we go to chapter 2, verse 6. Verses 6 and 7, let's look at first. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now, this is, if, if we're reading through this story, this is really strange. It starts after Joshua died. It starts saying the things that happened after Joshua died. And then, all of a sudden, it's Joshua dismissed them. Joshua's back on the scene. Well, he had died. We had went away. So we are starting over again. It is a flashback. It is actually a second introduction we're at now. So we are supposed to pick it up right now. Got, the author is making a different point. This is going to say, hey, this is important to understand what's going to happen the rest of the way. And so we're at the point where Joshua had dismissed the people. And I went through this last week, but I just want to review it again. This is the end of Joshua's life. They have been, had great success. They are in the process of driving out uh, evil from the land and, and being established. And this is what Joshua says in his last speech to him, to the people. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors were your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he says, okay, you be the judge. You decide, choose for yourselves. Are you going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly? Or are you going to serve the other gods? Are you going to live the ways of the, of the people all around you? You choose today. Me, I'm serving the Lord. My household, we're serving the Lord. And the people's response is, we have seen what God's done. He rescued us. He's, he's delivered us from slavery. He, he kept us safe moving to the desert to this place. He has helped us drive out people. He has given us a land. No, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, are you sure? Are you sure? Because it's hard. It's not to be done casually. There are consequences to it. Are you sure you're going to serve the Lord? And they say, yes, we will serve the Lord. And then there's a third time. Be witnesses. If you're really going to do this, if you're really going to do this, just know that there are consequences if it doesn't work. There are consequences if it doesn't work. And they say a third time, we will serve the Lord. In fact, let's put up this big stone. That's how they did things to remember. This is big stone. This, this is a witness. Whenever we look at this stone, remember, we said, we will serve the Lord. Now we're in John. That's, that's what we're supposed to be remembering when it goes to after Joshua dismissed them. 
And what did I just read? I just read the people served the Lord. They were faithful. All the people who were part of saying, yes, we will serve the Lord, they served the Lord throughout their lifetime. And it says Joshua died, he was buried, and we go to verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Who knew neither the Lord. That's a strange order. Sorry, just caught that I read that in the wrong order. Anyway, so this is a little confusing to me. If you have a whole group of people who are saying, we will serve the Lord, and they do it, it is strange to me that another generation could show up that doesn't even know the Lord, that doesn't know the works of the Lord. Did the other, one generation never talk about it? I don't see how that's possible. I think what this is getting at is that there's a people who forgot about the Lord, who stopped following the Lord. And when you stop following the Lord, you stop knowing the Lord. It may have happened gradual. It may have happened in starts and stops, but it happened. And then if you're not knowing the Lord and following the Lord, you aren't going to see the works he's, he's done. You aren't even going to be aware of them. You aren't going to be looking for them. You aren't going to be... I think that's what, ha- what happened. Now, verses 11 through 15. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, who they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. So the people who had said, we will follow the Lord, they're part of a heritage of saying, we will follow the Lord, were not following the Lord. They were following the ways that were normal to the peoples around them, and it resulted in them doing evil. What kinds of evil? Well, when you get into Baal worship or Ashtoreth worship, you're talking about, uh, this is fertility worship, this is about agriculture, so it's about money and economics. How are you going to use that? It is about sexual boundarylessness and violations. The worship of Baal and Ashtoreth was was filled with sexual immorality, all kinds of things like that. And it was going to be about violence. You were going to sacrifice your own children. You were going to do live human sacrifice. There There was all this was mixed up. It was destructive. It was not good. It was what they felt like the gods demanded of them. And then, kind of like other addictions, like substance abuse, you get addicted to these things. And evil enters in. All of that is going on. So they're destroying themselves and each other by that kind of worship. It's evil. So what is God's response? God's response is to let them be taken over by raiders, by other armies, his hand is against them. And I, there are three things I want to talk about today, or I want three points I want to drive home. And here's point number one. Point number one, the Lord judges. He judged them. Now, I'm not just talking about someday God's going to judge the whole world. That is true. 
I'm not just talking about someday we will all be judged individually and given account. That is also true. I'm talking about in present tense, the Lord judges. That's what he was doing here. It was happening present tense. The Lord judges. And he judges nations, and he judges communities, and he judges faith communities, and he judges families, and he judges generations, and he judges individuals. He judges you, he judges me. Not just in the book of Judges. In the Bible, beginning to end, the Lord judges. The Lord says he will judge. It's not a popular thing to talk about. It's not something we often emphasize. But it is clear. The Lord judges. And here it says the Lord became angry. He became angry. Later on it's going to say he became very angry. Later on it's going to say his anger burned against them. Angry. His, literally, it's, the picture is his nostrils were flaring. The Lord judges. Well, I thought God is love. I thought, I mean, he wouldn't, that sounds mean and angry. He does not, his anger is not like irrational, blew it, out of control. My opinion is that the picture, what really is happening in the Lord's anger is that when people say, no thanks, don't want you in our life, don't want to listen to you, leave me alone, whether directly or indirectly, when they do that, then he starts to say, okay. And when the source of all goodness says, okay, what we experience feels like anger. When the source of goodness says, I'll let you go, do what you want. What we experience feels fierce. Is it possible that right now we are in a season of the Lord judging the nations? Weather patterns, pandemic, political systems. I am not suggesting that everything bad is because the Lord is judging specific people. Sometimes it's because we live in a broken world and it's the natural consequences of what we do. Sometimes it's that we're allowed to be put to the test. We're actually doing good. And then there's a kind of a, will we still choose that even if life is hard? But in my opinion, the Lord judges. That's clearly what's true here. The Lord judges. There are consequences to whether or not we follow him. Going on, verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of their hands of these raiders. We're going to come back to verse 17. Verse 18 says, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who who oppressed and afflicted them. Here's the second point. The Lord saves. The Lord 
saves. The Lord delivers. And what's interesting, I had always assumed, and I re- I've, I've read a number of commentaries on judges, and, and often you'll talk, it'll talk about the people needed to repent. They needed to turn back from God. They needed, well, occasionally they do. More often, it's just they cried out, help. And sometimes they didn't even do that. They're just in their misery, like right here, and the Lord just says, all right, I'm going to come save them now. I'm going to come deliver them from the pain. I'm going to come help them in the heartache. I'm going to come and set them free. I'm going to come and rescue them. I'm going to raise someone up to do that. The Lord judges, but the Lord saves. And in reality, a lot of times the Lord judging is trying to move people back to him, to save people, to to remind, no, you need this. If I just let you be, that's worse for you. Come back to me. The Lord saves. The Lord loves. The Lord forgives. The Lord heals. And even when whole nation basically gives God the middle finger, he's still going to come back. He still wants them. He's still ready to rescue them. So, here, I'm going to, if I kept on reading, it would talk about how they, the people would keep turning away and that there were nations left, ooh, nations left, and there that would constantly, so constantly there's this battle going on. There's a cycle going on. And it says they started to intermarry with the people around them. So basically there's becoming no difference between the people and them. They're living like each other. Remember, God's goal is, I want to show the rest of the world how we're really supposed to live. I want to show the rest of the world what goodness is like, and I have chosen you to do it. And they're not doing it. So there is a cycle. There is a cycle here. And this is the cycle that's described right here. They serve the Lord. There is peace in the land. They are are loyal to the Lord. That's there. But then they start serving God. Other gods, they start doing evil. They are, they are not following God. They're not loyal to God. And then there's judgment. And the judgment in judges is often look like other people groups come in and take them over and treat them badly and make their life miserable. Often, but not always, they cry out. Cry out just because they're in misery or more, more often is the case, they cry out to the Lord, help, save us, we're sorry. And then he sends a judge to deliver them. And while the judge lives, there is peace again. This is the cycle in Judges. Over and over again, this is what happens. The people are loyal to the Lord. They say they're going to be loyal to the Lord. They stop being loyal. They abandon the Lord. They live in the opposite of the way the Lord asked them to live. They get turned over. They're in oppression. Their life's miserable. And then God sends... um, This is from the result of of God. Then they, oh, I see. It's like a mirror. It's opposite. So I'm trying to do this as best I can. So is that, am I doing it the right way? Okay. All right. So anyway, so then when they're crying out, God sends a judge, Savior, deliver, and there's peace. Well, that judge is there. So here's the very first judge. He's one of the six main judges. We're going to read chapter three, verses seven through 11. Last part of what we're going to read today. Well, I guess we've got to come back to a couple verses. But here it is. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The angel, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of the Cushian, wow, that's a long one, to, to, a, to a king, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and leader and went to war. The Lord gave this king of Aram into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. There's the whole cycle. They start doing evil. They, they completely abandon the Lord. The Lord hands them over to a group of people, and it is awful. And they cry out to the Lord, and a judge comes, Othniel, who's the Savior, who's the rescuer, who God puts his own spirit on to save them and rescue them and lead them, and then they experience peace. That's the whole cycle. That is the most perfect we're going to see the cycle in this whole rest of this book. Because while this is it, so the Lord judges, the Lord saves, there is a cycle in judges. Those are my three points. There is a cycle. But it's not just a pure circle cycle. I skipped a couple verses when I was talking about how the Lord would send a judge to save. He would send a deliverer to save. Here's verse 17 of chapter 2. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. It says the Lord would raise up a judge, but then in verse 19, but when the judge died, the people returned, returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So there is a cycle in judges, but it's not just a circle that keeps repeating itself. It's also a spiraling. Because every time when they come back, it actually gets worse. They get worse. They get worse. The trajectory of judges is like this. They come back to the Lord, but most of the time it gets even worse when they fall away from the Lord again. And worse. And worse. And worse. Now, it's not exactly like this, particularly since I don't have evil armies coming in to evade me. But I feel like I have a cycle in my life. I have a singing, you can have it all, Lord, and really meaning it. But then going on with my week, or sometimes my weeks, and taking in all kinds of other information and doing all kinds of things in my thought life, and, and I don't even remember to think about God very much. And then something hard happens. Something difficult happens, something bad happens, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I need God. And it's not always as clear cut as then there's a deliverer and a savior. I mean, these things that we're reading about happen over periods of years and sometimes even decades. But at least I start coming back to remembering I need God. And the more connected to God I am, the more likely, not maybe immediately, but eventually that I'll have more peace in my life. I have the same kind of cycle. It's probably not a perfect circle. Sometimes I spend a little more time up here. 
connect to the Lord. A lot of times I spend a lot more time down here not doing the right things. But I have this cycle. And what I want to, I think, we're all going to have those cycles if we're following the Lord. I don't think we get to a point where we're just like, yes! I'm always following the Lord. I'm always doing what's right. I'm always loyal to him. I'm always faithful. That's not my experience. I don't know very many. Maybe there are some people whose experience is like that, but that's not mine. It's more of like, oh, this really bad thing helps remember me. It helps remind me. Oh, I, I did this, and I've blown it, and I'm reaping the consequences of it right now, and I need God to help me so I don't repeat that. It's more of a cycle for me. But I think we can have a cycle that ascends and brings us closer to the Lord and helps us to look more like God over time, or we can have a cycle that spirals. And I want a cycle that ascends. But just to be very honest, I can't do it. I cannot do it. If any of you had New Year's resolutions, statistically speaking, almost all of you, they're already over. We're still in January. My willpower is not what's going to help me ascend, to live more in peace, to live more in loving other people. It's not. It's not going to be my willpower. I need a Savior. Othniel is a picture. He's, he's one of two judges. He's the only male judge that is shown to us, and we don't know any flaws of him. I'm sure he had flaws, but he's like the picture of the deliverer, the Savior that we would eventually get, that we have already received, which is Jesus. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who helps us to ascend. When it's just me and I got to get my willpower, then probably one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to act like sin is no big deal. Sin doesn't matter. Who cares if I sin? Who cares if you... I mean, not... And I don't think we would do it like that. It's just that, of course, God will forgive us. Of course, we'll be okay. And we don't think sin is a very big deal. And in that, we get... The deceitfulness of sin will harden our hearts because sin pulls us away from God. Sin pulls us away and destroys our relationships. And over time, without even realizing it, we start getting here. We start not knowing the Lord, not knowing the works of the Lord like the people here, especially if we're surrounded by people like that. So over time... If we think, well, it's not that big of a deal, or of course God's going to forgive me, of course God's going to love me, if we think that, we can get hard hearts and we go here. But the other thing is we could think, man, I've already blown it too bad. If you knew what I really did, what I really think, the habits I cannot break, if you knew that, you would know I don't deserve to be here. You would know I can't change. You would know. And in shame, we go to darkness. In shame, so we, we fake it or we just stop coming altogether. Because this place just reminds me that I can't change. This place, or thinking about God, it just reminds me that I'm not, I did this one thing. I keep doing this one thing. And so, because if it's up to me, I tried, right? I, I just this text, when it's talking about Baal and Ashtoreth, it is talking, there is primarily sexual sin. How many of us have tried 
to stop looking at pornography. We're not going to do it anymore. And then we do, and now I feel even more unworthy, and of course I can't, and if I can't willpower my way out of, of looking at pornography, I can't sing the song, You Can Have It All. I've been trying. But if I have a Savior, if I have a Savior who forgives, who delivers, and in my failure, I keep going back to the Savior, I know it's time 99, but I want to be set free, and you're the only one who sets me free, then I have a chance for my cycle to ascend. Now pick your other addiction. Most of us are addicted to our phones and screens. We just, we just are. The, the, the phones and screens are idols which facilitate whatever gods we worship, whatever our interests are. If we can just say like, yeah, and so does everybody. And if we don't fight against the sin... If we hide it, but if we say, I need a Savior, and I have a Savior who actually loves me, and I have a Savior who will keep setting me free, I have an option. Our phones and screens can do good. They don't have, it's not like we, some of us have to work with them. There's no way, it's not like we just crush them. But So how do you do it? I don't know. I need a Savior to help me do it. I'll do this. Now, I have the worship team come up. Here's, here's um, many weeks, not all weeks, but many weeks, I'll spend extended time praying for you, particularly related to our gatherings here or watching. I'll pray for people from our church, and I'll just pray because I don't know if I'll say it. I don't know if it'll come through a song. I don't know if it'll come through a prayer, someone talking out there. I don't know how. It's just where your mind wanders, where God leads your mind. But my hope and my longing is that God would speak to you what you need to hear. Whether that's encouragement or conviction or a new inspiration or whatever, but that God would speak to you. And I will try to think of specific people. And as you come to mind, that's who I will pray for. This week, I didn't do a lot of that. I spent a lot of time praying for me. In the end of, or in the chapter 2, verse 5, the people are weeping over their sin. They're weeping over it. They're weeping over the place they've fallen into. And when I was getting ready for this sermon, I got nothing. I'm aware I'm an idol worshiper. I'm aware I'm not following the Lord wholeheartedly. But my heart, I don't know if it's a giving up. I don't know if it's a, I, I just don't want to give up things. I've been praying, God, would you use this Sunday, if for no one else, for me, to help soften my heart 
So that I will feel about sin the way you feel about sin. And so that I will know your love and forgiveness and the saving power of Jesus that's so available to me that I just mostly leave on the table and don't receive. That's where I'm at. So I'm going to lead us through a little time of being able to pray on our own. And then we're going to join in a last song together. So let's pray. God, we just acknowledge today that we need your saving power. We need your mercy, your forgiveness, your healing in our lives and in our land. I thank you for the gift of confession that you invite us to acknowledge to you where we're not aligning with you. And that in that you, you start to break the power that sin and evil have over us as we come into alignment with you just by acknowledging and recognizing that we aren't in the specific ways we aren't. And so I'm going to leave a little space now and invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our minds and our hearts. Are there specific ways that we need to turn back to you? Are there specific things we need to release to you? Are there specific people we need to forgive or need to ask forgiveness from? We give you some space to guide our thoughts right now. Come, Jesus, our Savior and Deliverer. we would specifically ask that you would come help deliver us from our addictions. Would you break the power of evil that partners with our bad habits? Would you break addictions to pornography, to shopping, to gaming, to sports, to alcohol, to drugs. To watching videos or binge watching shows or overeating or eating bad things. Would you break 
our addictions? Would you give us supernatural ability? We cannot do it on our own. We pray for you, our Savior. Help us break our addictions. We pray that you would also show us who it is that could help us with it. That what's been kept in the dark would come into the light and lose its power. We're looking to you, God. We're looking to the one who loves us, who rescues us, who draws near to us when we just turn even a little of our attention to you. Help us.